The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Power of Water. Earth's human mission and what we need to do, each of us has a responsibility on this planet to do something that is very individual, and that means we need to learn. The description means you must learn to live here on the earth with nature. And as we've all been learning, that the power of nature is beyond all of us. And uh, the excitement of this show, it is the only radio talk show worldwide that is discussing the world water roars, the concern of water around the world, that individuals are dying. There are uh, 5,000 children a day dying because there is no water. Now, isn't that hard to believe when we're listening to this show and you're uh, maybe in your home, you have a toaster, you have running water, you have a shower, you have a computer, you have a television set, you have a radio, and we could go on. Cars, cars in the driveway, and more. There are children dying because they don't have water. What is malaria? Bad water. What are the diseases? Dehydration diseases are what's causing our problems with life and death on this earth. So the show, The Power of Water, has had exciting guests. It's the guests that make this show for you to listen to. Heads of United Nations worldwide concerning water in Sweden and Holland and Kenya and here in the United States and around the world. We've had Nobel Prize winners on. We've had NASA on. We've had the U.S. Geological Survey on. We've had nutrition experts on, and I'll call them experts because they're wanting to learn to be an authority on what you're eating. What is your diet to learn to live on earth? Maybe it's your diet that's causing you a lot of problems. Your vision, your eyes, uh, your everyday walk of life. How are you sleeping? This is what the show is about, the nature of this earth, but always coming back to the dehydration disease that is causing our problems on earth and individual human life all animal life, to have our challenges. The exciting part of the show is we'll move on, always all over the world. You will listen to authors of novels. We've had the very famous novel author on Water of the World. We've had the China study on. We could go on and on and on. So the excitement of the show for you to listen, to learn, it's kind of like you're coming in and, and listening to a laboratory of information to remind you of things you may already know or teach you something you haven't heard of before. Directions of nature. What is the description of water to save lives on earth and what is the description of possibility that you will save a life and save your own life? Because learning to live here is very, very important. 
as we've been hearing about all of the weather changes that are going on. Today we are having two of the most exciting guests, and I'm so excited to have them back-to-back. We have Gerald Barnes, Jerry Barnes, uh, who is president of the Thai Incorporated Group out of Cottage Grove, Oregon, and the topic is going to be forests in a changing environment, and can we really discuss that today? You'll be shocked at how much he's been learning in 50 years. Our second guest is Dwayne Cecil. Uh, Ph.D., West, he's the head of the Western Region of the Climate Re- Services. He's been a former, with, uh, formerly with NASA, with U.S. Geological Survey. Now he's heading a, a whole region and department for the director of studying water and the weather patterns and what is happening so we can learn how to live with this and think out what we're going to do with our everyday life and what can we do to participate to help. I want to get into the show right away because it's so exciting today. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Missed, uh, from the Research Center of Biologic Aqua Research. It's into water research all over the world, but it's different. It's what will be a hydro water therapy for you to use as a handheld device. Nature's Tears I Missed is the only method worldwide to apply to the eyes. The eyes are 99% water at the surface of your eye. The brain is connected to your eyes. It's 80 to 90% water. So, of course, your eyes get to need thirst quenching. What else was there to do? Uh, you can't just splash your eyes with water. That burns. Nature's Tears Eye Mist is just a mist. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Jerry Barnes. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Jerry, are you with us? Yes, I am, Sharon. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you. I know how busy you've been. Um, Let's tell our audience about what you're doing and uh, how you got into. Uh, the studying the pine cones and the seeds and and the concerns of the environment um, that was fifty years ago, but look where you're at today, Jerry. I watched this, and uh, you're kind of like I am you cho- you dove into something that was a passion for you to learn, and I dove into studying water, which was my passion to learn. 
But tell us about your company. All right. Well, uh, we are Tree Improvement Enterprises, our company, and and I've been involved in uh, forest health and uh, pathology all my uh, career, which is spans 50 years. And um, in the latter part of uh, that work, uh, we have been a private organization that provides services to people in forest genetic uh, implementation uh, programs. And that involves, uh, right now, we just came out of a six-month period of grafting uh, trees. And now, that, let's that, back up for a second and take our classroom, this audience, on a step. Um, you decided long ago that there was a future that needed to be learned more about the pine cones and their seeds and what could be the future of their growth. Um, and tell tell our audience why did you think for for the uh, way back then that pine cone needed to be studied further? Well, the pine cone is essentially the uh, fruit of uh, of conifers, and uh, that contains a seed. And if we are going to maintain our forest uh, uh, base in the world, we have to. Uh, replant and uh, our efforts have been over the years uh, uh, focused on developing superior genetically superior um, conifer seed uh, to make a more vigorous forest now when you say remember we've got an audience that are not in your world but when you say the fruit of the I, I will say it the fruit of the forest because nature is reflecting from the forest, uh, everything there is with our ecosystem. So you found that the pine cone seed was something that had a, an impact that you wanted to learn more about, and then you found that genetically that you could go out and learn how you could take the seeds of some of those pine cones and reproduce them and send those around the world and uh, throughout our planet Earth to, to be able to grow forest in countries or in, in our country that are not having, they need trees to be constantly being planted to uh, also assist with the ecosystem. Um, so when you've gone out and you've taken those seeds and you've planted them in your greenhouses, how do you decide which ones, Jerry? I know we've asked this before, but in case somebody hasn't heard, how do you decide which seeds are the fruit of the, of the pine cone? In other words, the, the quality you're after. Well, that's a good question, uh, Sharon. Um, we are part of, we, we don't do this whole job. We, um, we provide services that are part of, a, of an industry that uh, is devoted to forest genetics. There are scientists and foresters and landowners and, and technicians and people like us and companies mm-hmm. else like ours that are involved. And uh, what we have become aware of is that uh, tree seed has to be returned uh, to the place that it, uh, where the parents of that seed grew to function. They are uh, very closely uh, related to a particular environment. So you can't just take a tree seed and plant it anywhere in the world and expect it to grow. So part of the process is to make sure that that seed goes back to the proper planting site. So when you go to New Zealand... Um, and you, do you go there and get their seeds and bring them back here, or do you go there and plant their seeds? You take their seeds and plant them there. 
Well, we have. Um, our company has established a relationship with uh, some um, uh, companies in New Zealand to grow seed uh, there. Uh, that can be used back here where the parental material came from. Mm-hmm. And the reason we did that is that uh, New Zealand is on the opposite side of the world from where we are here. Mm-hmm. And so the climate is very much the same, and we can exchange seeds between those latitudes, oh. south and north. Okay. And in New Zealand, the uh-huh. trees grow very well, and that's one reason we have uh, decided to put our what we call seed orchards down there where we can produce seed uh, uh, in more volume and quicker. Right. Oh, my. Um, and, you know, and you've been working with a group uh, I was reading here that have about 100,000 acres in various locations in New Zealand. How many trees do you think they've planted since you were, became a uh, part of that? Oh, goodness, it's hard to say, um, you know, thousands of acres and hundreds of trees per acre. So uh, if you do the math on that, thousands it's of trees. staggering. <laughs> you know, Jerry, I have been studying nature in another way, and the waters and, and the aquifers and the atmosphere and the universe with it and, and the human species to go with it and the animal species, but uh, even the blade of grass to go with it. But you took on something that is so important to me, um, the genetic side of what makes the earth, uh, the ecosystem, be able to have a relation. And I like the way you said the fruit, uh, because people have to realize as they listen to this show now today that, th- that those seeds are so important to co- the future of this planet to be able to be, exist. And I think I've said this to you before, but I remember when listening to the a song, the Pocahontas song, and it was such a beautiful arrangement, but it said the tree is so high, would you want to cut it down because you wouldn't know how high it could go? Oh, yes, there's some trees that need to come down, and you know, some bad um, the trees that are uh, having diseases, yes, they need to come down. But when I'm thinking about the trees of our world, Jerry, it is the, it's, it's the ecosystem of the world, the tree, the tree on those hills and those mountains um, around the world that are reaching up to the universe to have a relationship but the planet to not only have a relationship with each other where we live on this planet and how we exist and the water and the atmosphere and the temperatures and the soil, the roots to the aquifers, but also the rest of the universe. Can you imagine the influence of a tree, Jerry, around the universe? Oh, yes, I can, and and I can imagine the influence of the many trees that we have to maintain in order to keep our ecosystem balanced. Now, you wanted to discuss today, um, our guests, I always like to get back to, I have my questions, but you wanted to talk about the climate and the changing environment um, here today for us in the changing environment. What is happening out there? You know, today we wake up, Jerry, and we've had, around the world. Bill and I were just in Japan, and I fell in love with Japan, and South Korea, too. And I came. now we've had, found that Japan has had an earthquake, a tsunami, also a human nature problem called uh, the nuclear fallout of the pollution that's happening at the power plants. That's a nature problem, too, because human is nature. They made a decision. Um, then we come to America and around the world. We've had hurricanes and volcanoes. But today we wake up with what happened in Joplin, Missouri, and in um, Minnesota, the tornadoes. 
that are happening all over our country and the unexpected problems. Um, what are you finding? Is there anything in the forest that you're learning that could uh, teach us to live with this nature of this pla- planet and not try to be so self-indulgent? But what are the forests doing to teach us something about the changing environment? Well, I, I think it's uh, more a focus on the fact that the forest is a part of the ecology, and uh, we have it has to be maintained and uh, serviced just like all the other life species of the world, which have a very complex interrelationship. And when you disturb that, even a little bit, sometimes it, it uh, elevates into large uh, disturbances. You know, we've been blaming weather events on one thing or another ever since people could talk to each other. Yeah. Well, that was inconvenient. If yeah. you woke up one morning, you wanted it to be part of what you wanted. Right. <laughs> Live your life the way you wanted. Uh, well, these days, you know, global warming is a favorite cause to blame, you know, for weather events. And, and to a large extent, uh, that is true. But uh, I think there's a bit of a misconception in a lot of people's minds in thinking that global warming is associated only with warming conditions, which, right. as we most, as we hear, there's a lot really of true, misunderstanding, is it? Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and you know, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's just just coming from me, uh, audience. But Al Gore, when he wanted us to be convinced that there was a global warming. He wasn't ex- taking us to a classroom with experts all over the world to learn what that would be, dis- dis- what the description would be. So th- it has been an enormous misunderstanding um, of what is happening. Could you explain? Have you a way to Jerry with your background? You're in that forest. You're touching the soil. You're touching uh, the the nature of our lives here. How would you describe, so people can understand what you just said compared to the misunderstandings that were going on, how do we get that narrowed in so people to really understand what is happening here? Well, I think uh, the thing that we need to understand is that when there is a changing uh, environment or climate, uh, what really happens is that uh, the extremes of nature uh, become more violent. And so when we have a global warming, that uh, means that we might have uh, um, cold uh, episodes and wind and tornadoes and floods and all those things that don't necessarily uh, associate in your mind with with a warming condition. (laughs) And I think that's what we're looking at now. We have to remember that there have been times in the past in this earth uh, where there's been uh, warming and cooling uh, periods that uh, greatly exceed what we're starting to experience now. And so it's not just all us, you know, it's also natural cycles that we have to deal with. Is it possible, Jerry, that when the weather was changing, and it always through centuries and decades have had a change, it was always a change, and then sometimes it went back to some uh, um, relationships of the weather from the past that people had long ago and not so long ago. Is it the fact that maybe we as humans have gone out and paved roads and paved driveways and built houses and mobile homes and manufactured homes and power power has been more necessary and and we're building on top of the water and we're building uh, we're building to live 
not with earth as its nature, but we're building the way we want to live. Is, is that why we're feeling such an impact? It certainly has a lot to do with it, and I think anybody would agree with that. Uh, I, I think yeah, we really have to go back down to the root of the whole thing, which is chlorophyll where yes. the green comes from in the world that we yeah, talk about. Yeah, teach our audience. You had that on your desk. Teach our audience about what you, the description of chlorophyll is. Well, chlorophyll, as we probably all know, is the green in plants. But uh, if you think about it, without it, none of us would be here. Uh, chlorophyll is what sustains life in the world. And, you know, as our human population increases all the time, which is still doing, Something else is replaced, and we have to increase the chlorophyll level to uh, serve our increasing human population, or we're going to get into problems, and we are. So. Okay, now we know that the population today, Jerry, I, uh, today worldwide, the population in the last week has grown by 44,356 people, but worldwide... I mean, that's the United States, I'm sorry. Worldwide, it grew by 1,451,851 people. Worldwide, we now have a population, as of today, of 6,918,784,544 people. Now, are they, is our growth of our human life and animal life and on Earth, are we affecting that by chance? Oh, yes, in a very big way. You know, this, it's kind of like a box that you're filling with new things, and uh, when it gets full, what happens? You know, And uh, we are becoming a bigger and bigger a part of the life uh, in the world, and uh, that destabilizes uh, the balance of the ecology. And, that, and all of these, uh, you know, I have always said, uh, Jerry, to me, the ecosystem is identical to Einstein's theory. There's no such thing as a straight aerial. But you don't want to go too far right, and you don't want to go too far left. You want to keep hitting back in the middle, which I call the ecosystem. And the planet, the nature of all of us, our stress, our outlook, our health is affecting everything there is. We are individually affecting each other, but we also affect the nature of this plant as humans. Uh, people forget about that. Yeah. That's why we're uh, getting into studying with uh, Harvard and Tufts and different universities around the world on the, how we're eating. Uh, you can go from the forest to our fields of agriculture. How are we growing our crops? How are we growing our forests? How are we maintaining the soil? The soil is a living life, like water is alive. And the atmosphere above the soil and the atmosphere above the water is very vital to the whole influence of our planet. But it's also, like I've said to Dwayne Cecil and others I've had on, Jerry, you can stand away from the planet Earth and you look at the planet Earth as, as a person as if you're peering in um, like a little mouse is looking at something. What is happening? Oh, my gosh, they have the water. They have the trees. They have people. Um, can you imagine the influence on the whole solar system? Oh, yes, yes. And, you know, when the, the eagle system, the global eagle system, is a very complex thing. But what it amounts to is that all species, from bacteria to man, are interrelated. They aren't uh, 
uh, they don't live in a world of their own, and their relationship is uh, can be quite fragile and can be impacted by by changes such as the impact of our human population on on the, the whole system. Now, with the changing environment in the forest, what are you noticing? Is there something very definite, or is it just gradually changing? What did you notice this year when you were out there in this last season? You just are you finished with your season yet? Well, we're finished with the the phase. Uh, uh, you know, there's many phases to our work, and we just finished uh, one phase, and and the two will be starting to be concerned about harvest of uh, the seed again. But you were out there in the forest right now with this phase. Well, in the forest and in uh, what we call seed orchards, which are okay. a little forest established uh, okay. in, in a farm-like environment to so produce seed. So it's like a, a laboratory seed. to study. Yes, okay. and uh, and there's a, there's a lot of those that uh, people probably aren't aware of how extensive uh, that kind of uh, work is. It, it has to be done. Now, how how the, before we move on to my next question. How many of those, let's call them laboratory of forests around the world? Well, uh, I can't give you the exact figure, but there's thousands of them. Thousands. Uh And uh, it's interesting because, you know, we are uh, grafting. uh, And um, most people know what a graft is where you take a part of one tree and you put it on, or one plant and you put it on another one. uh, Yeah. And then it grows. Yeah. And the one you place on there retains the genetics that, of uh, the source of that cutting. Now, do you think you learned that from your father and his fruit or fruit trees? I learned it from my grandfather and his fruit trees. He used to do that with his fruit trees. Well, yes, I did enjoy uh, <laughs> uh, doing some fruit tree work with my yeah. father, and he was always interested in, in that. Uh, genetics. Yes. They were. In fact, it was a nature to all of them to think out. They were very interesting uh, uh way back in time, time of history, they had more curiosity than our average people do today on nature. Uh, they love nature, um, and they wanted to learn more about it. And as close as they could get to it, uh, growing their uh, gardens and their fruit trees and um, all that they did with to get by with their, uh, do you remember the pantries that they had in their home to eat better? Um, mm-hmm. So they were always thinking about nature. More than, you know, we're trying to get back to that now. We think we are. That's why this show is so important to me, Jerry, is I wanted to have an influence with the world with a message. And uh, there couldn't be a better way than Voice America, World Talk Radio, Apple iTunes, and Green Talk Radio um, to get the message out there. And we've like had, we've had about 370 guests. But the nature of all of us to be in that laboratory you're talking about in those forests, uh, we've only got about four minutes left. You take over and you tell the audience what you want them to be thinking about, and what you're trying to, what you're doing on, uh, with your company. All right. The, um, you know, you talked about the interest people have in growing their gardens and and maintaining their their part of the world around them. Well, the forest is no diff, different than that. It just takes a lot longer to develop and change, and it's much bigger. And it's not owned by one person. So it's a joint responsibility to steward that forest in the world and expand it. If we expand the forest, uh, we can uh, greatly enhance the chlorophyll base of the world. And that applies to any kind of plant that uh, 
that we might uh, use. We should, our urban areas should have a lot more green to them. And so our, our niche in this thing is to provide seed, forest seed, uh, to anybody that needs it and uses it uh, and, and make sure that that seed is a uh, seed that will produce a, a vigorous and a healthy forest. So that, that's what we do. And uh, we're not we're not in charge of that. We're we're a part of that kind of thing, along with a lot of other dedicated people that are uh, spending their life careers at doing that kind of work. Um, now, where do people go to find your website? What's your website? Well, uh, we don't really have a website as, as uh, such. Uh, they can um, if they. I would uh, advise people to put forest genetics or forest tree improvement into their computer, okay. and they'll find a host of information about the kind of thing that we do. Okay. You know, Jerry, I had on here one time, um, and I'd love to have him on again as the family generation leader of uh, organic farming back in South Dakota, and it was an enormous amount of acreage, and they only get four inches of rain a year. And we were talking about uh, how they could go ahead, they were uh, planting all of these different crops and using only four inches a year. And he was talking about ro- uh, ter- turning the soil. And when you were talking about the forest, all I could think about is this: the forest is doing it's changing itself by the climates that are changing by season, and the way the soil below those trees is doing whatever nature it is to get ready for the next season. Uh, our f- trees. The influence of our trees to the atmosphere and the conditions of temperature. We've only got two minutes left, but temperature is so important to the whole ecosystem of our lives and our uh, universe. And those trees would have an enormous influence on the temperature. Oh yes, they do. Uh, you know, the water pumps is what they are. They, there we go, water pumps. Yeah. Yeah. And they take the water out of the soil, put it into the atmosphere along with the oxygen that we breathe. And then there's a temperature change in the atmosphere that brings moisture out of the universe and the system and brings it back down again. That's right. It's, it's, a, it's a loop. And if we loop. disturb that, uh, bad things happen. So. Right. Yes. Well, we thank you for joining us. And... Um, uh, we wish you well with your next project there, and I hope when you get done with that, we can bring you on and you can give us some foresight of what you think might have been a change after you got it, the seeds into the lab and look, started looking at the changes. I think there's going to be a lot of fun to learn there, too. All right. Well, I'll well, look thank forward you to tell, that. Tell Dini and, and Sean and everybody I said hello. I sure will do it, Sharon. Thank, thank you. you. Have and, a nice day. And um, the best to you and your family. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Did you learn? I did. Remember, the tree is there to take for a drink of water for the planet. So always remember, you are 80 to 90% water. The trees are there craving water to the universe to bring it back down to us here on Earth so that we can have the water. So remember, the influence of this circle is so important to your life. You personally adding something to it per person is adding something by the way you get up in the morning, your outlook on life and your attitude and your learning how to deal with whatever challenges and stress and obstacles. You come along and you learn to eat. You want to eat right, get rid of so much sugar, 
start eating fresh vegetables and better things to eat for your digestive system so you can learn to have a better dehydration, um, uh, fight the dehydration diseases. So all of a sudden the show becomes not just a, uh, a power of water and think about the n- nature of what's natural water, but your water, life is water, the atmosphere is water, Without water, there'd be no air to breathe. Always remember that. Without water and air to breathe, the trees could not breathe and bring you from the atmosphere the water you require to have a living life and be healthier. And then also fight bacteria and disease. Uh, We'll take a moment with our sponsor, Biologic Aqua Researches. Nature's tears eye mist is just a mist. Your eyes need it quenching. Eyes are thirsty too. Nature's Tears Eye Mist is the only product worldwide with 100% tissue culture grade of water with just a mist to give you that quick mist to quench the eyes. Because why do the eyes go dry? Why are they blurry? Why are they red? Why do you get allergies? The eyes are dry. They don't have enough water. I'll listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back with Dwayne Cecil. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dwayne, are you with us? I'm here. Well, thank you for joining us. I know how busy you are, and especially lately. I bet you're running all over. I want our audience to know you've been with NASA, you've been with the Jewish, U.S. Geological Survey, and now you're um, heading a region and climate studies services and water study and water uh, research. Um, tell us about, tell our audience a little bit, uh, how did you get, why did you decide, you have a Ph.D., you were involved with NASA, but you and I, when you come on, really lie, uh, like the issue and description of water and how important it is. But when you started with NASA, what were you doing? Uh, I was a chief scientist of NASA's Applied Sciences Program, and, and the main charge there was to communicate uh, better ways and, and demonstrate better ways of using uh, NASA Earth Science products. NASA has a, a fleet of research Mm-hmm. Earth observation satellites, and, and they were looking for ways to better use those data. And water resources is, is uh, one way to use the satellite data to 
to monitor changes on large regional scales in water resources. So I, my, my charge there was to better communicate ways to, and demonstrate ways to use NASA earth science mm -hmm. products. And I, I wanted to mention that, you mentioned I worked for NASA in the U.S. Geological Survey, and this new position as the Regional Climate Services Director here in the western United States is with NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Okay, there we go. Now, before we move on to this exciting subject today, uh, the shuttle is up, and uh, I'm one of those who believe we should never stop. Uh, I'm a believer, and if you've heard me say before, if I stood away from Earth and took a peek at Earth, I'd see things I would never see if I'm standing away from Earth. I'm a believer that when a person's in a project and you're, you're living that project, you don't get a breath of air to take a peek at what's really going on unless you step away and get a, an outside opinion or get away from it. I'm a believer in the universe to study and getting standing back in, in the shuttle. What do you think is going to happen now when there is no shuttle? Well, you know, it's it's actually a much more dire and critical situation than, than just the the human space program that's being uh, uh, cut back and funds redirected. Uh, the satellite uh, program in this country, the Earth Observation Satellite Program, if you look over the last two years, um, unfortunately NASA's had some um, really, really unfortunate happenings on launch of two different uh, climate observational satellites, one two years ago that uh, crashed on launch from Vandenberg Air Force Base in, in uh, California, and that was the uh, Orbiting Carbon Observatory, which we really need that kind of information to look at, at changes in, in, in carbon dioxide in, in the atmosphere, and that crashed on launch, and then here about two months ago, another uh, climate satellite uh, Glory, which would be looking at aerosols, which are uh, one of the largest uncertainties in, in climate models, is, is how do aerosols affect global uh, climate change. That crashed for, apparently, don't know yet, but apparently for the same reason that the, the Carbon Observatory satellite crashed. And then the next two satellites scheduled over the next uh, five to six years have been canceled due to uh, budget cuts in, mm -hmm. in Earth observations and environmental work in this country. And, you know, we all understand that we, we're facing these huge global challenges in, in economy and jobs and and changes in the environment, and yet we're, we're walking away from, well, not necessarily walking away from, but it seems to be changing directions on the, on the human spaceflight program as well as uh, cutting funds on the Earth observation satellites, and, and this country is on the verge now of not having our own uh, atmospheric uh, climate observations with, with these satellites that NASA has been flying since the early 70s. Yeah, so it's, that's it's been a my concern. Across the board. I've been very concerned, and I think the audience and the world should stop to listen to that. Because uh, how do you learn more about, and look at what's been going on. We're having earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, things that are with nature to our earth. But up in the satellites, they could see some changes happening to give us an opportunity to be prepared differently with, with, a, with study. Everything has to be studied about uh, in those directions. And now what are we doing? We're cutting budgets and putting budgets into what directions. You know, uh, 
Dwayne, I've always said I have to sit behind a desk to do a company. And I don't get to go traveling as much as I would like to to run a business. And I remember many years ago, my brother used to say as an economist, he said, well, when you start that company, don't forget, a lot of people forget to run a big business. To run a business, you have to stay behind a desk. So I, I stay behind a desk. That gives me my barometer. Then I go out in the field a little bit, and then I come back behind the desk. And what people don't realize, Dwayne, for us to learn, we've got to get out away from Earth, take a peek, and come back and study. You can't be studying it here on Earth everything we want to learn about the universe. And I'm sorry that people uh, have not taken it serious about how, well, why wouldn't they take it serious? We just had last night a very serious tornado. We've had tsunamis. We've had uh, hurricanes. Uh, We've had situations in the last three years that have been, well, talk about damaging financially, uh, people's lives lost because uh, probably we weren't able to put enough money in that budget. Right. Yeah, and, and, you know, your point's uh, well taken. It's, it behooves the, the science and, and the science applications communities and decision makers that, that use the science. It, it's really it's on our platter that we have to convince the public, the general public, and the Congress of the value added of, of Earth observations from satellites. And that, that effort is certainly underway. You know, Dwayne, and, and, it, and I, I don't want to we, step... We have to do every day. We can't yeah. just make the argument exactly. and walk away. Exactly. And I don't... This is not coming from you. You're a guest on my show. This is coming from me, audience. What is happening here with our politicians? And they're, they're zeroing in on the next election before, as, before the first election is done. They're exactly. not going behind the desk, Dwayne. They're not, and even the President of the United States, he isn't sitting behind the desk. We've got to get behind the desk, look at the business at hand, delegate to our technicians or whatever people you have, but the person is elected is the person behind, should be behind the desk. And you're, we have got to get serious about some of these budgets and, and ways to invest our money. Now, the planet Earth is a very big investment. We would hope to have it last for eternity. Politicians live from, from, um, uh, from election to election. They're not living with nature to me, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And no, I, I, I believe that you're correct. right about the, that budget. We've got to get money back into that budget. We found out yesterday more lives lost because of a tornado. And, Dwayne, they said they only had like a 20-minute warning. Yeah, How do you get uh, people out of a nursing home and retirement home and these severe babies. Yeah, weather events? Yeah, these weather events. Now, tell us about what you've been learning more about the the, the climate, what is happening. Well, you know, we, we're still uh, analyzing a lot of the recent data, but as you look over the last decade, there, there's, the evidence seems to be pointing toward What's happening in the atmosphere is really a, an energy balance equation, and as, as the atmosphere warms up, and a lot of it's natural processes, some of it's uh, driven by human contributions, mm-hmm. and we're still trying to figure out how that's done and, and how much of, of each of those drivers contribute to the overall climate. But the trends over the last couple decades show a rapid uh, increase in, in uh, air temperatures and warming of the environment. And as, as that happens, the Earth is a self-regulating system. And so as the 
energy balance well, I'm going to back you up for changes. And this is, this is a simple explanation. It, Duane, I'm going to back you up on something you just said. Earth is a self. Remember, you're ahead of us. You've studied more. Earth is a self-regulating system. What does that mean coming from your background? What that means is that um, the Earth regulates the atmosphere, the, the moisture in the atmosphere, and the temperature in the atmosphere by winds and storms. So mm-hmm. as energy builds up in one part of the atmosphere, the Earth self-regulates and moves that energy around and tries to, to keep a balance around the globe in the atmosphere. And so because the atmosphere is warming up, whether it's naturally warming up or there is some human contribution to that warming up, there's more energy to move around, and consequently it appears, I mean, we're still looking at the data, but it appears that storms are more severe and and more extreme events happen more often. Mm -hmm. Now, there's some debate that, that that's not happening, that if you look over hundreds of years of record that, you know, we've seen these kinds of storms before. Well, that's, that may be true, but the difference now is that there are a lot more people and a lot more infrastructure in cities and, and homes and roads in the way of those extreme events. Well, it's like I said with Jerry Barnes, the earlier guest, um, our population grew last week on Earth 1,451,000, I mean 1,451,000,000 million. 851,000 people. Now, uh, the, each person wants to flush the toilet. That's power. Each person likes paved driveways. Uh, people want all these modern uh, ways to live. But the impact of what it's doing with the earth and its climate, the temperature, can you imagine the more pavement you have, the more the, the heating up the air and the temperature of the air and there's more pavement maybe in time than there are trees. I don't know. I'm exaggerating. but oh, No, you, and, and it's compounded that, you know, as, as you um, change the, it's called the albedo, as you change the albedo at the surface of the earth, the reflectivity of, of incoming solar radiation, uh, the, the atmosphere warms up. And, and as we shrink the size of the polar ice caps and ice fields, mm-hmm and shrink them on a long-term basis, and we see that happening over the last couple of decades, that, those white-colored uh, snowfields and, and polar ice caps reflect the sun's energy back into space. Or mm-hmm. We're losing that reflectivity as we're also changing toward the mid-latitudes, where most of the people in the world live. We're changing the reflectivity of the Earth's surface there as well through agriculture, plowing fields, uh, paving, we're, we're really changing the, the entire system. Well, and the other way I'm thinking about it, and, and studying water as a therapy for human life, hot slows down the circulation, cold stimulates the circulation. And if you take and look at the earth gets too warm, it's going to slow it down, but the cold of the iceberg would stimulate it. So it gets a ba- eco balance of a little cold and a little heat. Um, you just, you that's just where I can. No, I know. Self-regulating system. Yes, I hope I didn't lose you on what I just said. <laughs> no, no. You said you said you just said in another way what I had stated earlier that that in the atmosphere the earth the earth regulates the energy it, it, itself. It moves the energy around right. by winds and storms and from hot to cold. Right. Right, the temperature. You know, isn't it? You know, it is so 
interesting how we forget as humans living on this life, our human mission, temperature is so important to our everyday life on everything. It is. It's and, like and I was talking to an Arizona. Again, if you, you go back to the data over the last uh, about 50 years, it, it, when we look at proxy records, and by proxy records I mean things like ice cores and tree rings and lake sediments, and we go back hundreds of thousands of years, we see these cycles of natural warming and cooling. Mm-hmm. And those arguments have been used by skeptics of, of any kind of human contribution to global warming to say, well, look, the planet's warmed and cooled for hundreds of thousands of years, and now we're just in one of those natural warming cycles. However, if you look at the last 50 years of data, the rate of change of the atmospheric temperature appears to be as high or higher than anything we've seen in in past records. And, and that's where we have some concern that because the population, and if you, if you plot that rate of change in the atmospheric temperatures, the warming, if you plot the change in human population, it's even more dramatic. Well, and then also so we have to We're having go... a huge impact on the resources yeah. of this planet. And, and my, yeah. my personal approach, this is not NASA, USGS, or NOAA, my personal approach to this is if we start addressing some of the issues that we have with a human population that is now at 7 billion folks that's headed to 9 billion people by 2035, if we start Mm -hmm. approaching problems like water resource allocation, Mm -hmm. water resource degradation, urban sprawl, uh, invasive species impact on ecosystems, we start addressing those issues as a human population to to, uh, to address how we ought to live in, in and with our environment, then we'll also be at the same time addressing glo- global climate variability and change issues. Mm-hmm. And so I think we, need to, we really need to step back and take a look at what is it in our everyday lives that we all depend on, whether you're in Japan, Russia, China, down in, in South America, in, in Illinois, it makes no difference where you are, fresh water is absolutely essential vital. for everything vital. That, that we do on this planet, not just humans. Well, and, and fresh so water we has a addressing those, those issues of how we're impacting right. the water system, right? then we'll address these other things, urban sprawl and overpopulation and resource degradation and global warming. And we need to, to bring it back to what we really rely on in our everyday lives and put it, put it in perspective for ourselves. And the atmosphere relies upon because the fresh water has a temperature different than the oceanic waters. And uh, there's waters that are adding. The surface waters are very important to the ecosystem of the planet. And, the, and, and I'm, as I said, I stand away from the, uh, the planet and look at from the universe. And I, I, nobody could ever convince me, I'm not a very smart person, but could convince me that the planet Earth doesn't have an enormous influence on the whole solar system because it has to have the water. And right. uh, but now on the waters, but the difference between uh, in fresh water means the water you drink, you want it to be safe, and the aquifers full. Um, and what do you think is happening with all this flooding? Um, where is all that water going to go? Well, there, there will be impacts uh, on on shallow groundwater systems. Absolutely, will be impacts. And I mean, you look at what's happening along the, the Mississippi River. Exactly. There will, there will be some impacts to aquifers uh, near the Mississippi and River. And wetlands. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And, and if then, you look at a global average 
on average, an, an aquifer system on a global scale turns over about every 350 years. So mm-hmm. think about that. If you contaminate that aquifer system there we go. and don't do anything else to it, it's still going to be 350 years before it can cleanse itself. Oh, my gosh. I, hadn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, so we have, to, we have to be extremely careful what we do to the, to the groundwater systems. It's so, so long it's been out of sight, out of mind, that we, mm-hmm. we think, well, it's there. It's always been there. It'll always be there. It's always been clean and, and mm-hmm. available to us. Mm-hmm. We contaminate those systems in any way. You know, it, 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 if we do nothing else and just let the natural system turn over itself mm-hmm. and replenish itself, Mm-hmm. On average, it's 350 years for an aquifer on a global scale to replenish itself. Now, do so aquifers... We never, forever, essentially. Yeah. Uh, do the aquifers uh, uh, influence each other? The, each, uh, the aquifers, like here in the United States, uh, do they influence each other below there? I've never asked that question. Well, they, they can have some influence if they're in, in, in right next to each other in close okay. proximity, either above or below each other or next to each other, and there's a, there's a hydraulic connection. Mm-hmm. But the, let's say the largest aquifer in the United States is the Oglala Aquifer in the middle of the country where most of our agriculture is. Mm-hmm. That aquifer really doesn't, other than the atmospheric connection, it doesn't have an influence, let's say, on a large aquifer system in Australia. Okay, we're out of they're, time. They're not connected hydraulically other than through their atmospheric connector. Exactly. We are out of time, but I, I can hardly wait to have you on again because we're, we really learned a lot today. And this is something that the message with our audience and the world out there, they have to start understanding the definitions. You know, Dwayne, it is so confusing for those of us uh, that don't uh, study like you and with your background. It, there's some descriptions there we just haven't picked up how to. We fake it. What you just said sometimes, that's why I back up and want to learn some of those descriptions. Okay. Well, I want to thank you. It sounds like you've been really busy lately, though, probably running all over the place studying some of that flooding and what is going on. And we're putting a lot of work uh, into to trying to convince the decision makers in Washington, D.C., and on a local scale, the value added of the science that, that we bring to the oh, table. Oh, it's vital. And it's so we're putting a lot of work into that. And, Dwayne, it is life and death. It is life and death. It is. It is. It's life-saving if we figure it out. And people, dehydration disease is already out of control, Dwayne. That's what's causing all these diseases. Well, I want to thank you for joining us again. I'm looking forward to the next time. Thank you very much. You I have a very nice day doing. and a nice weekend coming. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. No, that Earth does have secrets, doesn't it? I think you learned it on the show every single week for four years. That Embrace your life. Join nature and give back. Earth is whispering, though. Don't say goodbye, because if you want to say goodbye, you're not going to leave something special for somebody else for the eternity to be here. And what is, with, with, what is it without the water? We want to thank Gerald Barnes and Dwayne Cecil for joining us today. I will tell you, each of these guests is very is special. They care about life. They want to save lives. I want to thank you for listening. You be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com.